You know the vibe? Don't you dare come near me. Just, just give that vibe. You're okay. Um, or if you're okay just being on your own, just give off that vibe. That's great. Just lay your hands on someone if you're free to do that. And Father, I just thank you for joy unspeakable that is full of glory. God, I thank you for joy unspeakable right now. Let, Lord, that we would be a people of joy. Consider it great joy when you face trials of many kinds. Lord, let us be a people where our first instinct is not to be hurt, wounded, offended, entitled, but to be full of joy unspeakable. <laughs> and full of glory. God, I pray that you would change us today that under the authority of your word and of the charisma, the preaching and demonstration of the kingdom, that we would be changed. We didn't come here to just go out the same way. We, we, we want to be more faith-filled, more hope-filled, more love-filled. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a dream. It wasn't very exciting, but I had a dream. Does anybody, does anybody believe God speaks to you in dreams? You're a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> Do you go around like having a dream going, say, what does it mean? I saw the number three. What does it, did anybody do that? Yeah, of course you do that because you're all weird prophetic people, right? All the prophetic people are like, what does it mean? I had a dream. I don't know what it means, but my, God speaks to me in dreams, and sometimes it needs to be really simple. And one of the things he said two or three nights ago was, uh, it wasn't very, there were no symbols in the dream. It was very simply this, tell them about submission and authority. That was it. What does it mean? Oh, Rachel, could you interpret it? Rachel runs this dream company. Rachel, could you interpret this dream for me? God said, tell him about submission and authority. What does it mean? It means that I just need it really simple. Okay. You all okay? You all, you all okay? Again, you're allowed to, you know, if you feel the need, just reach your hand out towards me and say, help him, Jesus. All right, if, you, if, you, if I'm bombing, if I'm tanking that much, you're free to do that. You know, I remember preaching one time, and I said, listen, I am boring myself right here. Why don't we just pray for each other? And we did. Any of the preachers ever go through that where you're like, man, they must be bored because I'm so bored. So anyway, let's talk about submission and authority. You are actually not just a physical entity. You know that, right? And, and what, what we have is we have this diminishing of the physical that we, we say things like we're spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience, which isn't actually true. We kind of make all this stuff up without consulting Scripture a lot of times. Like we, we say, oh, this is just a temporary physical experience. It's like, well, do you not believe in a resurrection body? Like, do you not believe this is part of the, the promise of the kingdom? Do you think Jesus doesn't have a body anymore? What was resurrected? What were they saying? What were the two men on the road to a mass? Not to be confused with the two men on the road to a mass. That was a whole different story. This was a mass. And, you know, what were they encountering? When, you know, what was, what was Thomas encouraged to do? Like, that's fascinating, isn't it? There's Thomas saying, I'm not going to believe until I can poke my finger and you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, there's no record of him ever doing that, right? There's no record of him ever having to do that because once confronted with the risen King Jesus, he didn't need to do that anymore, right? That sort of risen King thing sort of put everything into perspective. But, you, you know, I find it fascinating that Jesus has taken his scars to heaven with him. And, and again, these are things we don't frequently think about because you're going to take your scars into heaven. But they're not going to be, they're not going to be signs of 
victimhood or abuse, they're going to be signs of victory. Right? These are going to be testament, testimonies of victory and overcoming. Like that's why you'll walk in heaven with your scars. It's not this like, oh, everything. We don't, yeah. You're not just a physical thing, right? You're not just, you're, you consist of this other part which is unseen. Everything around us consists of these bits that are unseen. If you've walked into a supermarket and you're confronted with all the atmosphere in the supermarket and all the memories that are there, you're confronted with a bunch of unseen stuff, but you still experience it, right? You understand our son had the privilege of visiting Auschwitz a couple of years ago. Do you know there's no birds that fly over Auschwitz? And scientists kind of go, I don't know. Maybe there's a smell. Or maybe there's just some real hurt on the land. Maybe it's the memory of atrocity that they're going, I'm staying away from this, whatever that is, right? Maybe the blood of, of innocence is crying out from the land. That seems very biblical. But it's unseen. So because it's unseen, we have this tendency, even as spiritual beings, even as people who have been born again in the Spirit, we have this tendency to simply be materialistic, rational, scientific, and if I can't see it, I don't believe it. Did you know how we know that? So... I said this earlier, and I'm not sure if I have a good term for it, but I've been a professional Christian for about 26 years, right? I don't really know what about, because you're all in ministry, right? When I was a police officer in Northern Ireland, I was in ministry. By the way, can I just say that summer camps and all that, some of your childhoods were totally different than our childhood. Totally different. I remember playing golf with this guy, and he's like, yeah, you know, grew up in Pacific Beach. We'd come home from school every day, went surfing, surfed until, you know, it was dark, and then come back. And I'm like, yeah, my childhood was totally different. You probably don't want to know about it. But I slightly digress. What? Yeah, sorry. I've been a professional Christian for 26 years. So we're all in ministry, right? We're all in ministry. Professional Christian, 26 years. And during that time, we've had the privilege of teaching people everything to do with how to give and how the kingdom gives. So we mention Taruma or your first fruits, and everybody gets a little bit offended. Not everybody. Some of you mask it really well. I give my own way, the way the Lord has led me. The Lord puts it on my heart, and I do that. That's how I do. That's awesome. That's called independence, which kind of worked in 1776, but it hasn't really worked as a. It's not in the Bible. By the way, who watched the coronation or a little bit of the coronation history? Any regrets? Any repentance that wants to? No. Okay. Moving on. <clears throat> it's. It's kind of like teaching people that what I need you to do is I need you to submit to something that's outside of yourself. That's what first fruits does. First fruit is an act of submission that there might be a better idea than you have. And what you're doing is you're actually submitting your entire finances to something else. Same with tithing. I don't think people should tithe anymore because we're under the new covenant and all that. That's great. Honestly, have it your way. Just don't come to me when you're miserable and all that. Anyway, I used to to ask people, people people would ask me for like, can I come and speak to you, pastor? And I'm like, don't call me pastor. I'm not a pastor. I'm a leader. It's a different thing. If you don't know the difference, (laughs) maybe you're feeling some of it at the minute, right? Uh, You know, uh, I'm, I'm really stuck, pastor. I mean, Ian, I'm really stuck. Okay, are you tithing? No. Okay, fix that, then come back to me. Like, that would be the number one question, because it's not about 10%. It's about a heart. It's about a heart that says, actually, in submission, there's something else that goes on in an unseen place that's very important for my well-being. 
and for the well-being of my family and for the well-being of everybody, the well-being of my ministry, the well-being of so much. Like, you, you, you do understand that, that Christianity is based on submission. It's not based on, on science. It's not based on, well, let me tell you how God could have made this in seven days. That's not what Christianity is based on. Christianity is based on the submission of the will of a son to his fathers. Without that, we wouldn't be here. And yet, the minute we start to talk about submission, we're like, oh my goodness, he, we're going to be abused. This is a cult. I've joined a cult. Listen, <laughs> I was going to make a sister wives joke there, but I won't. I won't, I won't move on. Do it. Do it. Sorry, that's me. Jesus left the upper room with his disciples. This is from Luke, Luke 22, and I'm reading from the Passion. Uh, verse 39, Jesus left the upper room with his disciples, and as was his habit, went to the Mount of Olives, his place of secret prayer. There he told the apostles, keep praying for strength to be spared from the severe test of your faith that is about to come. Then he withdrew from them for a short distance to be alone. Kneeling down, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of agony away from me. But no matter what, your will must be done. Okay, going to get into the Trinity here. Do you think Jesus' will was at odds with the Father's will? So what's he saying? Like, what, what, what's he saying? He's like, you know, hey, would you take this cup of agony away from me? But whatever happens, it is your will that is preeminent. It has to be first, 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 first first matters. You, you, you understand that by doing the first fruits, all you're saying is, your will matters. Now, you can get into the, well, 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 well. That's great. This is something that's been going on for 5,000 years, more, right? And you might have a better idea. That's great. That's not my point. My point is that the ultimate expression of Christianity is the submission to somebody else's will. Because you will never walk in the authority that you're not submitted to. If you've ever worn a uniform, you know that that's true. You will never have the authority that you're not submitted to. You will only have the authority that you're submitted to. I have this tattoo. Can't see it all. It's exousia. It's the Greek word for authority. Very, very important because what we're doing is we're looking for more authority in our lives. We're looking for more financial blessing. We're praying for checks in the mail, declaring checks in the mail, and God's saying, but I've given you the power to be wealthy. Well, I don't know how to access that. It's because you've never learned to submit. In fact, it's a bad, it's, it's a bad word because immediately we think of, well, I'm, I'm becoming less. Was Jesus less than the Father because he submitted to the Father's will? That would be heresy. And yet we feel it is. Well, if I have to submit, you know. Listen, I tell Rachel, every we, we do this prayer time every morning, and I affirm the fact that wives, submit yourself to your husbands. If you believe that's true, 34 years, we've never once used that, Right? Because this has got nothing to do with the reduction of another person. That's not what submission is. Submission is simply recognizing who the authority in the room is. Like, who is the authority in the room? Like, that's why we come in low. We don't take the place of most honor, the seat of most honor, because we're submitted to who the authority in the room is. Who's the authority in this room? It's King Jesus. And, and then we get, you know, we get the whole thing. <laughs> Honestly, listen to some people, you think heaven is chaos. Heaven is full of order. Sorry for everybody that likes disorder and chaos, but heaven is full of order. There are 24 elders, right? There's four living creatures. Don't know what they look like, but man. 
doesn't even describe them. Four living creatures, really, that's kind of all we get. Must be scary. There's seraphim and cherubim and powers and dominions and rulers. All these sort of ranks and orders in heaven, and we think it's just going to be like 1960s Southern California on the beach chaos. We think it's going to be a love-in or something like that. I don't know what we think it is, but if we just think it's, there's no order on it, there's order. So in our lives, is, is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Well, there has to be order. And the order is not my will, but yours. You know, when we say, Holy Spirit, come, we're not saying that the Holy Spirit isn't here. We're saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of what we're doing. That's kind of the goal. On earth as it is in heaven, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Let, 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 me, let me... Authority. Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus entered the village of Capernaum, a captain or a centurion in the Roman army approached him asking for a miracle. Lord, he said, I have a son who is lying in my home, excuse me, paralyzed and suffering terribly. Jesus responded, let's go. I will go with you and heal him. But the Roman officer interjected, Lord, who am I to have you come into my house? I understand your authority, for I too am a man who walks under authority and have authority over soldiers. This is so flippin' profound. I have authority over soldiers who serve under me. I can tell one to go and he will go, and another to come and he'll come. I command my servants and they'll do whatever I ask. So I know that all you need to do is stand here and command healing over my son, and he will be instantly healed. And Jesus was astonished when he heard this and said to those who were following him, he has greater faith than anyone I've encountered in Israel. It's fascinating to me the correlation between authority and faith. Like this man is just saying, I get the authority thing. All you need to do, like you're a man under authority. This is how, this is how the centurion is describing how faith works. I understand that I am a man under authority. The problem is most of us have tried to get out of that at some point. That we think being under authority means like we're less than. And please, I'm not, if, if you're in an abusive work environment, get out of it. If you're in an abusive church environment, get out of it. I would go as far to say if you're in an abusive relationship, get out of it. This is not about justifying abuse. This is about saying that if the devil wanted to destroy your capacity to submit and be under authority, he would do it by introducing these things. So that we react to error, and as a result, we get nothing but error. Just by saying, okay, well, the devil's using that for that, therefore I'm not going to be part of that. No, no. This is how the kingdom works. The kingdom works by being under authority and then having authority. You okay? I know Camille's okay. Appreciate it. <laughs> this is how the kingdom works. Why, why, can I, why am I not seeing more healings? Because you, you might need a little bit more authority. And how do you get more authority? Will you place yourself under authority? So that I can be more. Well, no, I haven't found the perfect church yet. Please, if you do, don't join it because you will ruin it. <laughs> Spicy in. The whole notion of first is really important, right? Let me, let me read something to you about this word, exousia. It's taken from a word which means privilege. It, it means force, capacity, competency, freedom, mastery, but in, in the whole thing, like in 
explicitly in the word and in the words that it comes from, it talks about jurisdiction. Exousia, the authority that you have as a believer is jurisdiction. So what you're doing is you're saying that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, but it will require those kingdoms to bow their knee. It requires these things that like sickness must bow the knee to a superior kingdom. This is what submission means, right? That it means that the kingdoms of this earth, all the kingdoms of poverty and hopelessness and despair and division and all the little victimhoods that we're trying to create, that the enemy is trying to create, they must submit to a superior kingdom impossibilities must submit to a superior kingdom. And we get to model that. Sometimes I think we think we're going to take the kingdom by using the weapons of the enemy. Dissension, fear, argument. You know, it's funny it says in Philippians that we're not to be argumentative. I wonder how many of you read that in social media lately. You're not supposed to be argumentative. That would be good. If we could all do that, that'd be great. Because these are the weapons, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for the demolishing of strongholds. We were at a conference. Some of us were at a conference the last couple of weeks. And it was very powerful. And if you weren't there, na 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 na. And this is something that was, that was kind of flowing through it. Because remember, firsts are important. Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Ephesus. For these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in the right hand. By the way, just as a little rant, since I'm being spicy, when did the revelation of Jesus Christ become the revelation of the Antichrist? Just wanted, when did the book of Revelation become the revelation of all the bad things that are to happen? I don't really understand it. Anyway, it is called the revelation of Jesus Christ, just to be clear, not the revelation of the beast. I know all that you've done for me. You have worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not, for they were imposters. I also know how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name, yet you have not become discouraged. We'll get there. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. Do the works of love you did at first. So I, I get... I'm, I, again, have been a professional Christian for 26 years and past leading a church and all that. You would get people that would say, you know what, I'm like, Ian, you're just like to go, 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 and let's do stuff, and let's ride bikes, and let's do whatever it is we're going to do for the kingdom. And I'm a human being, so I'm going to be. I'm just going to be. I'm a human being. I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being. So let's just be. And they would quote this verse, you know, get back to your first love. We have to get back to the first love. We have to do the things that we're, you know, they don't say that. They just say we have to get back to your first love. But here's the thing, like love does stuff. In the words of Hall and Oates, love is what it does. The second bit, ours is doing nothing, doesn't quite apply. But, but it is like, can we get back? Like, I could say that 34 years of marital bliss, and what I do is like, I love you. I hope you can feel my love. I hope you can just feel my love. No, love does stuff. It's active. There's a bunch of stuff it's not, right? It's not jealous. But there's two things we know that love does, and it's patience and kindness, right? Those are active things. Kindness is an action. It's not just a, hey, sorry about that. There's something active about kindness. Anyway, 
This conference that we were at, and it was just like calling us to get back to the thing you first did when you fell in love with Jesus. Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember what it was like to sort of go, oh, and I know some of you were saved out of depravity when you were three years of age and maybe haven't really experienced a bunch of that. But I'll tell you from someone who celebrated his 43rd birthday in the Lord, as a 15-year-old, I have been brought back to that moment at 2.30 in my bedroom when I was 15 and lost and lonely and broken and no hope and none of that. No, you know, won't go into it. Just in a really dark, dark place. And then Jesus. And, and I had this experience. It wasn't a vision. It was an experience that that God brought me back to that place. And just like the movie Inception, I could see everything started to change. Like the world changed the day I got saved. The day I bowed my knee to Jesus, the day I said, hey, would you, whatever it is I need to do, would you do that? Do I, you come into my heart? I don't know where, what that even means, but that day, everything changed, and it changed for me and for Rachel and for our kids and for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. The world changed in that moment. And if I can't live from that place to say, hey, I need to go back to the things that I first did when I fell in love. You know, that's a good recipe for marriage. But I'm a human being. I'm not a human doing. So sometimes we, sometimes we get messed up with our feelings, right? We just get messed up in our feelings. There's this process of um, stuff that goes on. That, you know, what happened, this is how actual stuff happens in our lives, that we, we think some stuff, we speak some stuff, that we think some stuff, and those thinkings lead to speech. Right? Because out of the overflow of the heart, and the heart was the, the bed of thinking in Hebrew culture, not the place of our emotions. That's Cupid, romanticism, all that. Our, their emotions were in their gut. Their heart was their thinking. So out of the overflow of the heart, their thinking, the mouth speaks. So you've got thoughts, speech. Out of your speech, then, you form actions, right? Actions are driven by your speech. Please get that. If you get nothing else here, get that your actions are driven by your speech. Stop speaking crap over yourself. For the love of God, would you stop doing it over other people? Like, oh, let me tell you, let me tell you. Stop it. You are directing the course of your life by that. Right? It is not the storms. It's not Obama. It's not Biden. It's not Trump. It's not Facebook. It's not social media. It's your speech. Right? It's not the storms. It's not the direction of the wind that dictates where, where the boat is going. It's the small rudder, which is the tongue, says James. That's what sets your direction is your speech. You have your thoughts, your speech, and that speech will result in actions. And from those actions, you will get a behavior. You keep doing those actions repeatedly, repeatedly. From the behavior, you get your identity. And from your identity, you get your thoughts. That would be a great little graphic if I had it. I'm used to doing it on a whiteboard. This, you can, now if you're the enemy and you're going to come in, where are you disrupting that? You're disrupting that at multiple levels. We don't, we don't have an identity crisis. We have a thinking crisis. We have a speech crisis. We have an action crisis, a behavior crisis that leads to the identity crisis. But this is what you get to do. You also get to understand that in every single one of those steps, there is an unseen realm, that what you do affects more than this, more than what you can actually see and touch and feel and all that. In fact, in the words of Gladiator, what you do today echoes in eternity. There are eternal repercussions for what you do today. And I don't mean like repercussions. I mean like the seeds you sow. People say you can't take money with you. Of course you can take it with you. You don't believe me. Store up for yourselves. Apparently, you can take it with you. 
Apparently, you can take treasures in heaven with you. You know, the most celebratory religion was the Egypt, about death was the, was the Egyptian religion during this whole time of Moses. That's why they have all these tombs filled with all their toys, because they're taking them with, the, with them to the afterlife. And meanwhile, Christians are like, Amazing grace. Because we think that, de anyway, we can't get in there. We, can't, we think death's the end. Even though we're like Jesus conquered death, we behave like death's the end of it all. Here's the thing with, with authority. You don't need to feel it. Walking in authority does not require you to feel it. It requires you to think it, speak it, let it influence your actions, let it influence your behavior, let it influence your identity, and then we start the whole thing. You don't need to feel it. Oh, let's feel the authority. Oh, do you feel the authority? Oh, I'm feeling the authority. We don't need to do that. You just need to move in it. And then when, you, when, it, doesn't, when it doesn't happen, you need to not let that chip away at what you believe about the authority. It's, the authority says, this is going to move. This, this mountain is going to move because I say so. Say so. If you speak to this mountain, it might be time to remind the mountain of your authority. But authority comes through submission. And, and every time, like, not my will but yours, you know what, I'm going to, whatever the decision is, I, I don't want to go into specifics because, but whether it's finances, career, love, kids, and I do think there's something on kids. I think there is something about kids, and, you know, Rachel even mentioned it earlier, that, that some of you might be worried about your kids. You need to submit to him. I promise you he's more concerned about your children than you will ever, 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 ever be. And if not in this life, it's funny that Hebrews 11 talks about that these people believed even though they didn't see it in their lifetime. Because there's more than your lifetime. Has anybody, listen, everybody should put their hand up. If you don't, we're going to bring you up to the front. And has, Who has given their life to Jesus? At that moment in time, you became eternal. You started to walk in your eternal life, and somehow we have forgotten this. And in the pursuit of signs and wonders and miracles and all of these things, that we have forgotten that we are eternal beings, that there is a, that there is a life after this, that there's something that happens after this where God makes everything right, even those things that feel just horrible. I'd held out for this, but Hebrews says that these people believed even though they didn't see because they had faith that in the next dimension, in the next realm, that Jesus was going to make it all better. Somehow we've forgotten that. That we've stopped being eternal and like to be temporal because I do believe that there are blessings here on earth. but we're submitted. We submit. We submit. Right? We submit. And listen, if you're telling me that, you know, I submit to the Father and I don't submit to anybody else, I'll not submit to no man, then I would suggest that's wrong. I, I just would, because there's order. And I, I promise you, you don't have the authority in my home. You have zero authority when you come into my house. And if you don't believe me, try it. I have a couple of friends called Smith and Wesson. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit, of course. <laughs> right? Like, you, you have no authority in my house. I have no authority in your house. I don't get to come into your house and tell you how to raise your children. Right? So, so even when it comes to this house, there's authority in this house. And yes, the authority is all to do with Jesus, but he has delegated that. I'm thrilled that you, that you funded Mike Amborny's 
uh, crews. Like I'm thrilled because there's an honoring of authority. They are your most precious thing, right? They're, they're the thing that is most precious, not because you're not precious, but just in this house they are. It's why the Tarum is important, because you're like, I submit. It's, it's interesting. We had this conversation with, a, with someone recently, and most billionaires don't give to the church. I don't know if you know that. Most hundreds of millionaires and even tens of millionaires don't give to the church. They certainly don't tithe. And, and part of that is because they miss the, the submission piece. Because, you know, they're wired to make money. They're wired to care about their money. They're wired to have an influence. This is what they're wired to do. But the, the problem is in Scripture, when people were giving to God, they led it at the feet of Moses. And in the New Testament, they led it at the feet of the apostles. Right? Because there's an act of submission, not of control. Not of, I, I need to make sure that I, I know where this money's going. Because this is, you'll read, if you read Scripture with this lens of submission, you'll see it time and time and time and time again. And again, I'm not talking about wives submitting yourself to the husbands, because again, that's about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, which meant he gave his life, which feels a little bit like submission. And then we're all to submit to each other in that chapter, so it feels like we're missing out the big picture by focusing in on one little scripture. And the big picture is like we're supposed to be preferring one another, etc. So why we're not walking in authority? Like, can you... There's this... There's like four words in Scripture that are frequently translated as miracles. Signs, wonders, miracles, and powers. Really, that's kind of it. Signs, wonders, miracles, and powers. Um, exousia is the authority. It's an ecclesiastic... It's a jurisdictional authority. Exousia is this jurisdictional thing. But then you've got this whole notion of powers. Let me, let me tell you what I think powers is. Can you think of any powers that happened in Scripture? Things that are not healings, miracles that are not healings. What, what about calming storms? What, what's happening there? Like when Jesus is calming the storm and they're on the water, the water is this place of the abyss. It's the place where underneath it, Peter talks about the titans being locked up, these principalities that were actually held in chains and Peter's talking about that in one of his epistles and it was the, the place of chaos for the Hebrews and when Jesus is actually calming the storm what's he doing he's telling the powers of darkness that they must submit to this new kingdom this is a, a demonstration of power Jesus turning water into wine what's he doing he's demonstrating the power that lack and poverty must submit to this different kingdom, this better kingdom. He is bringing it all. You know, that's why we have things about, you know, bringing the enemy under his feet because it's a submissive thing. Joshua's getting the, the kings out of the jail, and before he kills them, he puts his boot on their necks. You can't get more submissive than that. Right, he's putting, he's putting the enemy, he, like God has your enemy under his feet. His boot is to the neck of your enemy. Time and time again, it's submit to this kingdom, submit to this kingdom. I said this thing years ago, probably, that if, if you want to build, if you want to build a faith-filled culture, then there's kind of one thing you need to work on. And it's not your faith. Faith. Y'all got me? I know. I know because sometimes I see people who have never heard me before going, what did he say? <laughs> eh? Faith. It's like rain, you know? Our God rains. Rains. We do our A's a little bit different. So, <clears throat> so it, it, you don't have to, like, I don't even know how you work on your faith. How do you work on your faith? Like, do you sort of like march around and go, oh, oh my God. <sighs> like, how are we working on our faith? Are you feeling it? Are you feeling the faith? Are you, <sighs> like, what are we doing? 
Like, it's nonsense. It's just absolutely nonsensical that we're going to work on our faith. We're going to work on faith. Here's what you do to work on your faith. You need to work on your perseverance because it is by faith and perseverance that you'll actually get your breakthrough. You need to sort of up your perseverance mu muscle. Oh, I tried that for three times. I, I prayed three times. It didn't happen. Right, whereas Rachel's coming up here and saying, like, here's, here's Elijah. What she didn't say was she's sending her poor little servant out. Do you see anything? Nope. Do you see anything? Nope. Do you see anything? Maybe. Right? You have to build the perseverance, not this, I tried it once, and, or you know what, like, I really tried that in my life for, for six months, and it didn't work. Well, maybe you needed to try it for six months in one day. It's the ability to build in perseverance, because this is what perseverance does. It builds character. It builds a character that says that I'm not believing the promise. What? I'm not believing the promise. It's not the promise that's faithful. It's the promise keeper that's faithful. Perseverance allows you to actually shift everything away from your expectations and put them firmly in the, in the, in the place of Jesus himself. You know, Scripture says, he who promises faithful. He. And what perseverance does is it allows us to work on all those character things that, oh, I want to quit. I want to run away. Oh, my goodness. This is, God, I'm giving you until, I'm giving you until 1 o'clock. And if my man, the man of my dreams, doesn't walk through those doors, that's it. I'm going to the bars. Because that's a way better option. Right? This sort of like juvenile, infantile faith that we have. But the other thing you've got to work on in your faith is hope. Like faith is the substance of things hoped for. So when hope goes, there is no faith. When your hope goes for a thing, it is gone. I will tell you now that I'm going to close my computer, which should encourage some of you. <laughs> I'm one of these kind of weird people that sometimes has these experiences and can see stuff. There has been a battle going on in the heavens and on the earth with two things like going at war with each other. And it's like these things, they're not demons. Please don't get all super spiritual on me. They're atmospheres. They're sort of like prevailing thought patterns and despair that are largely coming from us. And as a result, they come back to us. And what this battle is over, this battle is over hope and disappointment. And it's disappointment that's verging on despair. This is going on, and what's happening as a result is people are getting anxious, people are getting lonely, they're getting isolated, they're getting all these things as a manifestation of the erosion of hope. If you want to build hope in your life, you've got to deal with your disappointment. Honestly, I don't know how to do it. Other than be face-to-face -face with Jesus. Because if we're going to keep burying that down, the way I bury my feelings, <laughs> we're going to keep burying those disappointments down that you'll have no faith, and then you'll start to accept an inferior theology. I didn't see this happen, therefore it didn't exist, or it doesn't exist. I, I've stopped praying for healing because there was that one time I prayed for my mom when she died. So I've given up on praying for this. You have to wrestle the disappointment. And you have to wrestle the disappointment by simply taking it to Jesus. It's something you do in your closet, right? It's something you're going to do with, you know, just, just you and him. It's something you're going to do just like, God, I felt abandoned. I felt that you don't care about me. That's the time to do that. I don't understand, but I know that you're good. I just know that you're good. So if you want to build a culture of faith, you got to 
you got to work in your perseverance. You want to build a culture of hope, you got to work on your disappointment. And if you want to build a culture of love, you got to deal with your offense. I, I do this teaching on, on becoming an orphan spiritually. Not spirit. Like sometimes we talk about an orphan spirit and we make it look like, Wah! you know, like aliens coming. Like it's this sort of demonic thing. It's not. It's something that you're very capable of, right? Witchcraft is actually not a demonic thing. You know that? Witchcraft is a sin of the flesh, according to Scripture. Whereas we've made it into this, hocus pocus. We've, no. Some people, some people switch off the minute. <laughs> anyway, it's not an orphan spirit. It's actually something that you manifest. It's like an atmosphere that you produce. And the number one, so I do this, like here's 12 steps into orphanhood. The number one, the first thing that people do is be offended. If you want to build your culture of love in your home, your marriage, married people, listen to me. If you want to build a culture of love in your marriage, you have to make sure you're unoffendable because the offense that comes is very real. You should be offended. You should be offended because it's real. We're not going to deny that it wasn't offensive. It sh you should be offended. And, and if, it, if you shouldn't be offended, then you're just making stuff up. I'm talking about the real offenses that come in. Church, like the real offenses that come in. Like, you, you know that there's this process of relationships, and one of the processes, you know, you know, you come in, and like, oh, my goodness, that Ian fell. He's so amazing. Like, he's so funny. So deep. And then I'll do something like mention witchcraft, and you're like, oh, I don't like that. I'm offended. I feel very offended. He mentioned money and submission and witchcraft all in the same sentence. Feel very offended right now. And it's at that moment you have a choice to decide which way you're going to go. To remain unoffendable. Right? Jesus said, tell John what you see. Right? The, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and the gospel is preached to the poor, and blessed is he who is unoffended me. It's not that you, you don't get justifiably offended. It, it's why I think God says, hey, your breakthrough is it's tied to your money and submission. Because if there's something that's going to offend you, it's probably in there. Your breakthrough is tied into you not doing your own thing. I know you've done it for the last 50 years, but your breakthrough is tied in you not doing your own, your own thing, but isn't coming under somebody else's authority. And please, don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. Let's stand. So we're going to take an offering. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we're going to take an offering for me to go on Alaska cruise. <laughs> just to really work on your offense. So. <laughs> yeah. so Father, I, I thank you that I thank you that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but that you have given us weapons. And that those weapons are largely around faith, hope, and love. And God, I pray that we would leave here today absolutely convinced that you are good and that your love endures forever, that we would be 100% convinced. It doesn't even have to be 100%, just a little bit more convinced than we were when we walked in, that you are good and that your love endures forever. And God, that your plans for us are good and not for evil. And God, for those of us that need that hope injection, we, we don't know what it looks like, and we confess that we're a little bit afraid to hope. But I know that you would say to each and every one of us that this is not the end. 
This is not how it ends. I want you to hear that as if it's the Lord speaking to you. This is not how it ends. That your life is not over. The die is not cast. But that he who promised is faithful. The Lord bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, come on. Wasn't that amazing? So good. Thank you. Thank you for such a timely message. I'm going to go ahead and invite um, our ministry team up. If you are sitting here and you feel touched by that message and, and you are someone who needs a, some hope and hope injection this morning, these amazing people that are making their way up right now are here to pray for you, pray with you, hold your hands up. Uh, we also have some words of knowledge for healing this morning. And there is someone here that is dealing with a torn meniscus, a knee pain uh, or re-injury. There's also a word of knowledge for ringing in the air or ringing in uh, ears, so tinnitus. And I'm going to verify that because I actually felt that at the end of the message right there. Um, I, it just came for a few seconds. So somebody with ringing in the ears. Um, there's also uh, someone with shin splints. And uh, what does it say? Oh, arches, like the arches of your feet, pain in the arches of your feet. Diabetes, diabetes. I can't not say it that way. I just have to. I'm sorry. Diabetes. <laughs> Diabetes. If you're uh, dealing with blood sugar issues, come forward. Uh, recurring illnesses or autoimmune disease. Come forward and get healing. Also, a stress fracture or stress-related issues. So, again, if none of those ring true for you, come forward anyway. Receive an encouraging word and and just an injection of hope this morning from our amazing ministry team. And before you go, I want to invite you again or remind you to go get your tacos. Go get your tacos from the youth. Lunch is served out on the patio. Go get your tacos. And again, we have a meeting for the Tijuana uh, missions trip in the prayer room. And we also have the healing and words of knowledge workshop happening in the fellowship hall. So go and enjoy lunch out on the patio. If you don't eat tacos, that's really weird, but you can order or get something. I'm going to get a taco, you know, I'm going to go, huh? Taco. I'm going to get a taco. I have like this accent today. It's really weird. <laughs> it's not Norwegian. <laughs> anyway, God bless you guys. Bless you with an amazing week. And may you just be filled with hope this week. Um, surprises from God. Kisses from heaven. In Jesus' name. Have an amazing day and amazing week. <laughs>